Legend of Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guess, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Listeners, today is the first day of Black History Month, and we're excited to bring you a special Black History Month series of episodes this month. We're going to be covering a whole suite of issues and topics that represent and affect the Black community today. Our first stop in the series will be discussing Black contributions to American success. Being that we're still in a global pandemic, we figured we'd start off in the healthcare industry. So to start us off uh, in healthcare, I wanted to mention Dr. Kismika Corbett. Is that, I think that's how you pronounce her name, Dr. Kismikia, maybe? Kismikia. Kismikia Corbett. There we go. I just wanted to make sure I said her name right since we're talking about her. But Dr. Corbett uses her viral immunology expertise to propel novel vaccine development for pandemic preparedness, including the vaccine for COVID-19. Dr. Corbett boasts a patent portfolio, which also includes universal coronavirus and influenza vaccine concepts and novel therapeutic antibodies. Dr. Corbett invests much of her time in underdeserved communities as an advocate of STEM education and vaccine awareness. Definitely wanted to mention her uh, listeners just because, like I said, we're in a global pandemic. Um, we've been talking about so much misinformation in the Black community with taking vaccines. And then we've got a doctor here who helped to develop you know, the vaccine that really helped to uh, save the world because COVID was really, really uh, dangerous. Um, and we didn't have anything ready to go for it. And the fact that we had, um, you know, a president that wasn't really apt to take care of things. It was great to see that we had someone who was a black female or uh, at the helm of this thing making it work, Devin. So definitely wanted to give some recognition to Dr. Corbett. Absolutely. And, you know, even before the show, I said that that could have been kind of controversial, depending on your stance on the vaccine. But it is, you know, definitely, at least for me, it puts you a touch at ease to have someone from our community who had a hand in creating the vaccine. So um, it's definitely, she's getting some much needed recognition to know that she was so so involved in getting that vaccine, which has saved a lot of lives, both black, white, Asian, Hispanic. I mean, it's it goes across the board, across the world. So um, awesome. And she absolutely deserves um, that recognition. Our next, um, you know, pioneer here that we'll recognize is Miss Mary Eliza Mahoney. So uh, just to give you her story. So in 1878, at the age of 33, uh, Mary Mahoney was admitted to the, uh, her hospital's professional graduate school for nursing. And so the program ran for 16 months and it was, you know, pretty intensive. And students attended lectures and gained firsthand experience in the hospital and many of those students weren't able to complete the program because of its many requirements. And so just to give you some context here, of the 42 students that entered the program in 1878, only four, four out of the 42 actually finished it in 1879. And Mahoney was one of those who actually finished. And she was one of the women who finished the program. And it made her the first African-American in the United States to earn a professional nursing license. So, um, Adrian, I think that represents, you know, particularly black women have always had a big hand when you think about healthcare, when you think about nurses in particular, black women are very much well represented in that. And so it's very cool to go all the way back to say the 1800s where the first uh, African-American in the U.S. to earn a professional nursing license was uh, Mary Mahoney. 
Yeah, Devin, uh, I didn't know that uh, about um, Mary either. Um, one of our interns, Jordan Miller, she actually um, sent me a text message and told me to, you know, mention Mary. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Especially, like I said, we're in a pandemic. Nurses have kind of been the backbone of the medical profession right now, having to take a lot of the the blunt of the pandemic um, with healthcare workers. Um, so to talk about uh, one of the first or the first rather uh, African-American nurse, um, you know, definitely got to get that in there. Um, to continue this trend, talking about um, black females, you know, because, you know, females are doing a lot in medicine. Our next one is Dr. Marilyn Hughes Gadsden. Um, she actually, in 1964, she was working in Philadelphia General Hospital. She admitted a baby with a swollen hand. The baby had suffered or was rather was suffering from sickle cell disease, which it hadn't occurred to Gaston until her supervisor suggested the possibility. And being that she didn't realize this, she really committed herself to learning more about it and eventually became a leading researcher on the disease, which affects millions of people around the world. And, you know, for African-Americans, we have a lot of risk factors that makes us more susceptible to this. She became deputy branch chief of the sickle cell disease branch at the National Institute of Health. And her groundbreaking 1986 study led to the National Sickle Cell Disease Screening Program for newborns. Her research showed both the benefits of screening for sickle cell disease at birth and the effectiveness of penicillin to prevent infection from CFAS, which can be fatal in children within the disease. In 99, or rather in 1990, Gaston became the first black female physician to be appointed director of the Health Resources and Services Administration Bureau of Primary Health Care. Gaston has been honored with every award that the public health service bestows. So good, good um, person here to honor when we're talking about health care. Uh, again, listeners, we're talking about a lot of different pioneers and champions in health care that have really helped to set the stage for people who have gone you know, on after them and who've you know, throughout their lives worked to do some groundbreaking things. So uh, Dr. Gaston is definitely on the list there, Devin. Absolutely. I mean, she got every award that the public health service can give out. She got them all. That's right. You can't beat that. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. And too, you know, like when you say sickle cell, that's something I think everybody in the black community is aware of. And and just across the world, I mean, it's something we all deal with, but we have particular risk, risk factors in our community that makes us more prone to it. So when you say sickle cell, we all know it. We're all, we are all familiar with it and you likely know someone who has it. So when you Think about the screening that goes on as a newborn. They're, they're looking for a sickle cell due to the research that Dr. Gaston was doing uh, back in the 1980s. So uh, we thank her for her uh, contributions, you know, to the medical field. And to wrap up our segment here with our last pioneer uh, that we're going to recognize. Uh, so his name is Dr. James McCune Smith. And so. Uh, Dr. Smith was a man of first. And so in 1837, he became the first black American to receive a medical degree. And although he had to enroll at the University of Glasgow Medical School because of racist admission practices at U.S. medical school. So just the sign of the times back in the 1800s. And that was far. But this was far from his only groundbreaking accomplishment. He was also the first black person to own and operate a pharmacy in the United States, and he was the first black physician to be published in U.S. medical journals. And so, um, Adrian, you know, it's it's awesome to see Dr. Smith 
you know, despite the odds, having to, you know, apply to the University of Glasgow because he couldn't get in, you know, they wouldn't let him into, um, you know, the U.S. schools. It was very cool to see him, you know, pursue that, be the first one to receive a medical degree, but then also own and operate his, his own pharmacy in the United States and then also become the first black physician to be published. So he did some some great, great things for the medical field. Um, and so I did I did not know of him before this episode. So like many of you, I'm, I'm learning as we go through this. And this is why we do this to make sure that you understand that we have contributed a lot, you know, in the in the healthcare field, in the medical field here in the United States and across the globe. So just know our, our fingerprints are there when you talk about the medical accomplishments that have been made um, across history. You know, we have something we can tout. Yeah, we do. And unfortunately, uh, as we can see throughout the people that we've talked about, well, mainly some of the, the, the latter three people that we've talked about, racism definitely played a lot into their profession and what they were doing. Um, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention uh, with Mary uh, Mahoney, um, one of the things is she actually had to be a private nurse because, you know, during that time they weren't really letting, you know, black females, you know, do that sort of work. So she had to go and work for a lot of wealthy white families up and down the, the eastern coastline. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of these uh, people that we're talking about who were, you know, in the 1800s and early 1900s and such, they had to deal with a lot of this, you know, backlash from them trying to be pioneers within a you know, all white, you know, or mostly white dominated field. So, um, yeah, listeners, we definitely wanted to kind of start there, like I said, with healthcare to give you something to shape up what we're going through with the pandemic. But as Devin alluded to, we're going to take a break here. Uh, and then when we come back, we're actually going to get into another industry. We're going to be talking about business. So, uh, everybody likes business. Everybody likes making money. And there's a lot of black people who've made a lot of money and helped others make some money so make sure you stick with us to learn about them we'll be right back thank you for listening to the black agenda podcast we appreciate your support and we ask that you like share and follow us on social media you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at black agenda pod that's at black agenda pod let's get back to the show all right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it here. Our second segment talking about the business seg- uh, business industry and what black Americans have done to enhance uh, business in America. Uh, the start us off, George and Joanne Johnson. You probably don't know much about them. They founded Johnson Products Company in 1954. Uh, Mr. Johnson, he tried to borrow $250 to start the company, but a bank turned them down uh, because they thought the request was a little risky. A few days later, Mr. Johnson went to another branch of the same bank and he needed that $250 to take his family on a vacation. They gave him the loan, but he tricked them and he used it to start his new business. The company began the largest supplier of health or of hair care products of the African-American market. By 1971, Johnson Products annual sales reached $12.6 million. Following year, the company went public on the American Stock Exchange, making that company the first uh, Black-owned uh, company on the American Stock Exchange. So a really, really cool thing to think about how 
you know, he had to lie about, you know, getting the 250 because I would imagine back during, you know, the 50s and such, banks probably didn't want to lend to uh, uh, entrepreneurs who were black because they didn't want to have success in black communities. But maybe if you want to take a vacation and waste your money, they don't care about that. But it's great to see that Mr. Johnson had the tenacity to keep on going. And he had the insight to think about how wealth is really made through investments. I mean, you look at most of the you know the wealthiest people in America, they're not making it from their salaries, they're making it from their investments. So it's great to see that Mr. Johnson learned that and kind of paved the way for other companies, Devin, to follow in his footsteps and get their company on the uh, stock exchanges. I think our listeners will, will see a theme here because our next um, – pioneer that we're going to recognize is Miss Annie Turnbull Malone. And she was also in the hair products uh, industry. And so she was a chemist and entrepreneur, Annie Turnbull Malone, and she became a millionaire by successfully developing and marketing hair products for black women in St. Louis. And so around the turn of the 20th century, uh, Annie Turnbull developed a hair product to straighten African-American women's hair without damaging it like products then available. She eventually created an entire line of hair care and beauty products specifically for black women. And Amy Turnbull Malone's legacy as a pioneer in the African-American beauty and cosmetic business has largely been overshadowed, like I mentioned earlier, by the success of her former employee, who is Madam C.J. Walker. But that is now starting to change. And she's in Miss Turnbull starting to get her credit um, as a black woman. Turnbull was actually denied access to those regular distribution channels. So she decided to take her products and and she and her assistants went door to door giving demonstrations and they just grew the business steadily and eventually it took off. And so um, after a positive response at the World's Fair, Turnbull's Pearl Company went to national. So um, Adrian, I know a lot of people know the story of Madam C.J. Walker, but they may not know Annie Turnbull Malone who really was doing the work before Madam C.J. Walker came on. They both deserve their recognition, but I would say that, you know, Miss Miss Malone is probably the least known of the two. So that's why we decided to give her the platform and recognize what she had done in building her company, which was Turnbow's Poro company um, that went national. So that's, again, in the hair products industry, a lot of, you know, a lot of innovation was happening back then. <laughs> people are gonna, people are gonna hear this segment and think black folks must love you know must love their hair or something. That's, <laughs> that's that's how we contribute when it comes to business uh, to American success. We make sure everybody's got a good hairdo. Now I'm just joking. We we do a lot more than that. To to uh, talk about someone else in the uh, business community um, that really helped to uh, revolutionize things because um, I I think about how home security and just security systems in general have really been a, you know, a huge industry. I mean, it's, you know, most people who have a home have a, you know, security system. Uh, And what people might not know is that an African-American nurse actually by the name of Mary Van Britten Brown, she's actually the one who invented a system or she used a camera that she could, you know, you know, you know, look into our yard and look at the door and different things like that. She looked through her four peepholes in the front door. Uh, and she even had a microphone that she could speak to people at the door, a button to unlock the door and a button to contact the police. 
She and her husband took out a patent on that system, and she was awarded the patent three years later. Many home security systems today actually use a lot of elements from her design. So really cool thing there. I wanted to make sure to mention her because I know how a lot of the times whenever we talk about you know, just building things, whether it be in different industries and such, making sure that those things have security. Every business has, you know, security, everybody, whether it's, you know, whether you're in banking, uh, healthcare, everybody's got that stuff. And then when you look at the personal level, uh, that's definitely a business that has worked to kind of impact us. And like I said, it's nice to know that um, African-Americans had a hand in creating that industry altogether. Absolutely. That's what this, you know, particular show is all about, recognizing those who you may not know of who um, have invented, invented things that we kind of take for granted in something like a security system. You wouldn't think a nurse would be the one to come up with something like that, but she did. And, and um, you know, shout out to her for having the idea, you know, and she got the patent for it. Um, so, yeah, every you know, the next time you install some sort of home security system, you can thank Mary Van Britten Brown for that because uh, she was she was the pioneer behind the home security system. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take our next break. And when we come back, we're going to go into the technology sector where we're going to also recognize some more accomplishments and contributions that our community has made. Um, so we're going to take another break. And we'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our third segment here. And like I said before the break, we're going to get into the technology sector here. Um, and so our first recon- uh, the first person we're going to recognize is Mr. Otis Boykin. So um, Otis Boykin's work on improved electrical resistors made possible the steady workings of a variety of now ubiquitous electronic devices. And so variations of his resistor models are used around the world today in televisions, computers, and radios. But most notably, his work enabled control functions for the first successful implantable pacemaker. So the advances incorporated into Boykin's resistor meant that many electronic devices, including consumer goods, military equipment, um, could be made more cheaply and with greater reliability than the early op- uh, options. And his resistor was quickly quickly incorporated into a number of products, including guided missiles and IBM computers. But he is really, really known for creating the resistors that go into the pacemaker, which made that. We all know what a pacemaker is. We, we know how vital that is to the lives of many people. So you have Mr. Otis, Bo- Otis Boykin to thank for the, you know, what we know now as the modern pacemaker. Which in the black community is unfortunately uh, probably used pretty often, probably more often used than a lot of other uh, racial groups. But again, it's good to know that someone African-American had a hand in that. Uh, even in those guided missiles, I mean, that's something that's pretty, uh, that's pretty neat to know. Um, because it's, you know, when you think about military uses, um, those are definitely something that's used quite often. So they can, you know, think. Uh, Mr. Otis, every time they uh, go to that. Another uh, pioneer in the tech industry 
Uh, this person is really interesting to learn about because uh, he is often called the grandfather of Black Silicon Valley. This is Mr. Ray L. Clay Sr. Mr. Clay has worked uh, to nurture technology industry throughout California. Uh, he was a part of a, a venture capital firm that invested in three different companies, uh, total valuation of about $135 billion dollars. Those three companies, Compact, Intel, and Tandem, uh, all of those are computer companies. I know everybody knows Intel. Uh, Mr. Clay is a key figure in the development of Silicon Valley and was inducted into the Silicon Valley Engineering Council Hall of Fame in 2003. And like I said, called the grandfather of Black Silicon Valley because of all the opportunities he created for other African-Americans in the industry. So, you know, definitely want to recognize him because we know how much money a lot of uh, people like, you know, Steve, you know, jobs did make and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these people make in Silicon Valley. Um, and Mr. Clay Sr. had a role in creating Silicon Valley and a role in creating all of that diversity with, you know, establishing all of these companies and, you know, worked in as a consultant throughout computer science and the computer technology industry. So, uh, really, really cool, uh, guy to learn about. Like I said, listeners, if you don't know much about Mr. Clay uh, Sr., um, go look him up um, because he's somebody that, like I said, you know, was around a lot of wealth, a lot of influential people. Uh, he was actually working for the people that developed H, uh, HP, uh, Hewitt and Packard. Um, so um, really, really cool guy. That's a That's I didn't know that either. Um the godfather of black Silicon Valley. That's, that's huge. And I think what also makes it important to, to recognize it is the second part, which says he created opportunities for other African-Americans in the industry. That's the big, biggest thing um, that I really focus on because it's, it's great to get the one it's that's the hardest job is to being the first one to go through the door and, and building something. But what really makes a change is being able to create opportunities for those behind you. Um, and so, you know, thanks, you know, to, to Mr. Roy Clay Sr. for the work he did and not only, you know, starting and, and having a hand in creating Silicon Valley, but also creating opportunities for other African-Americans to get involved in the industry. So huge, huge shout out to him. But we're going to move on to our next um, our next technology kind of pioneer here. And her name is Patricia Bath. And she was the first African-American to complete a residency in ophthalmology in 1973. And then just two years later, she became the first female faculty member in the Department of Ophthalmology at UCLA's Jules Stein Eye Institute. And so in 1976, Patricia Bath co-founded the American Institute for the Prevention of Blindness, <clears throat> blindness, which established that, quote, eyesight is a basic human right. And in 1986, Patricia Bath invented the laser phaco probe, which improved uh, improving treatment for cataract patients. She pat patented that device in 1988, and then she became the first African-American female doctor to receive a medical patent. So um, huge, huge deal there when you're talking about eyesight as a basic human right. Of course, I we all should agree with that. Um, but Miss Patricia Bath, they are credited with inventing their laser phaco probe, which improved treatment for cataract patients, which is a big deal as well. As we were talking about pacemakers earlier, we know cataract surgery is a big, a huge thing that a lot of people have to go through as well. 
Yeah, I definitely believe eyesight should be for everybody. I am so thankful that I don't have to wear glasses and contacts and all that good stuff. But uh, I'm glad to know that Miss Bath um, was, or Dr. Bath was working to um, get this done for the black community. It took me almost back to the Lions um, Lions Club because I know that's like a big, <laughs> should they probably partnered with, with one of her organizations because they, they promote a lot of eyesight stuff too. Um, and our next person uh, within the tech world, everybody can thank him um, because everybody has probably used uh, a computer before and he's had a hand in that. So Dr. Mark Dean, uh, he and a colleague co-developed the industry standard architecture systems bus that enables multiple devices such as drive disks, modems, and printers to be connected to PCs. So if you use a printer or modem, you know, you can thank Dr. Dean. He also is credited for the color PC monitor and the first gigahertz chip. In fact, Dr. Dean holds three of the original IBM 9 patents on the computer that all PCs are based upon. In total, he has 20 patents associated with his name. Like I said, if you've used a computer, uh, the you know modern day personal computer is what PC stands for. Uh, Dr. Dean's got one of those three original patents that I, while he was working at IBM for that. So, like I said, you know you can thank him for that. You can thank him for you know making sure your printer can hook up to your computer because <laughs> that's a that's a big deal. Uh, you know before we had you know Wi-Fi uh, connections or whatever. But uh, Dr. Mark Dean, uh, a really cool personal learn about like i said uh, we wanted to make sure within this industry here we kind of give you some highlights you know we don't we may not have you know some elon musk and jeff bezos you know type of wealth but we've got people who've been able to do some great things uh and be able to provide to society in some huge ways exactly i mean that's that's the whole point of this episode is to let you know that the things that you take for granted, like a color printer or a color PC monitor and gigahertz chips. I mean, I know we're way past that, but, you know, home security systems, pacemakers, cataract surgery, those, I mean, things that you probably think about and use every day, just know that someone from our community was behind that and had a hand in creating it for you. So just appreciate it a little bit more and be, you know, we can all be more grateful about the things that we take for granted. I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was cracking up a little bit listeners. I know you can't see that, but whenever Devin was saying you use a pacemaker every day, I was like, hopefully you hadn't gotten there just yet. Hopefully not. No. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening, absolutely appreciate you. listening. But, you know. but say, Hey, that means we're reaching that, that uh, 55 and above category. Yes. So, so that's what it's all about. <laughs> I mean, Hey, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> or, or you had your cataracts worked on. We hope you had not getting that yes. too often. Yeah. But you, Hey, but Hey, people <laughs> our age might have a home security system. It could yeah, be rain or whatever you, you know, if you, especially if you live in Los Angeles and it's like the purge over there, you better have one. Oh gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But we'll go ahead and take our next break and we'll be come back. We're going to move to the entertainment sector where of course, you know, it's, this is a hard chore here because you probably know a lot of people who've made some huge contributions to the entertainment industry, but we have a few folks we're going to, you know, uh, spotlight for you to give you some stories that you may not have heard heard about so stick with us and we're going to be right back 
Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back here. We're not going to be doing a final message, as you can kind of uh, gather. Uh, we're going to be talking about the entertainment industry. And in talking about the entertainment industry, I, you know, obviously Black uh you know, black entertainment, you know, you know, when I think about that, music is a huge part of that. And I think about Barry Gordon Jr., uh, just because, you know, founding of Motown Records in 1959. Uh, and throughout, you know, the 60s and 70s, you think about artists like the Supremes, Jackson 5, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, Smokey Robinson, Diana Ross. I mean, the Commodore, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And you think about how classic those groups are and how those groups help to influence a lot of other, uh, you know, racial groups who, you know, perform music and how they were able to cross over. And like I said, this is the sixties and seventies where things were very segregated. And I know y'all have probably seen the movie, the temptations, or you probably have seen the five heartbeats or something and all the, you know, the segregation and different uh, performing venues, but they were able to cross over with their music, with what they were doing. And they helped to revolutionize the, the music industry and probably really helped to, you know, uh, calm some of the racial tension that we were having due to race uh, through music. So uh, Mr. Barry Gordy uh, definitely wanted to kind of recognize his contribution with developing Motown Records and what that kind of did for our country. Absolutely. That's huge. I mean, you talk about some huge artists, Temptation, Smokey Robinson. I mean, those are legends that he um, oversaw. So, but our next our next pioneer is another star in her own right. So her name is Nina Simone, but she was born Eunice Wayman in Troy, North Carolina. And she's an American singer, songwriter, musician, arranger, and civil rights activist, just to, to round that out. Her music crossed all genres from classical, jazz, blues, and folk to R&B, gospel, pop. I mean, you name it. She crossed into it and she learned to she actually learned to play the piano as a toddler and played in church where her father was a preacher. Um, Nina Simone would cross the tracks to the, to the white side of town to study classical piano with a German teacher and was later accepted into the Juilliard School. And so she went on to record more than 40 albums. And in 2003, just days before her death, the Curtis Institute awarded her an honorary degree. So. We just wanted to recognize you may already know about Nina Simone, but hopefully with this, you know a little bit more that she was born Eunice Wayman and she was born um, in Troy, North Carolina, and initially learned to play the piano at age 12 and, um, you know, had to go across to the other side of town just to learn how to play um, with the German teacher. But no, I didn't I didn't know that she had went to Juilliard. But, you know, Adrian, a lot of people know the name Nina Simone, but they may not know the story behind how she was this humongous entertainer, but also a civil rights activist too, which is kind of, you know, amazing. It just showed the the variety of things she could do, and she was great at all of it, which is the best part about it. Yeah, I know. It's it's really really neat to learn about um, how different people that. Because, you know, you definitely don't hear about a lot of these people who 
built the industries that we're talking about um, because a lot of them are overshadowed by current artists and different things like that. But I mean, I, I really feel like um, artists back then were really good models for what artists today should be because they use their platform in, in useful ways for the community. And I know we've talked about this a lot and how, you know, and should, you know, celebrities or artists or whatever be as thought leaders, but I don't even think it's necessarily about being a thought leader, but just about standing for truth and justice and what's right. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, when you stand up for civil rights, I don't think you're just, you're, you're not saying you're a thought leader. You're just standing up for what, I mean, what's supposed well, to be. Right. I mean, yeah. right? So, so hats off to her for, for doing that. And uh, another person, uh, listeners, hopefully you know this person, Robert L. Johnson. Um, you might not know the name that much, but you know something he created, which was BT Black Entertainment Television in 1979, along with his wife, Sheila. He also became the first African-American billionaire in 2001 when he sold BT to Viacom. And he also started uh, a new business, the RLJ Companies, which has invested in a plethora of different things from an NBA team to a film company, political causes, campaigns, the list goes on and on and on. But whenever I thought about putting uh, Mr. Johnson on the list and I was thinking about BET, I was like, man, I remember BET was just like, it's almost about community and culture. Cause I can remember when, you know, growing up and 106 and Park was on and like mm-hmm. everybody would gather to watch that. And I mean, you think about the fact that um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, black entertainment. I mean, it was, we didn't have an outlet. I mean, I wanted to put the person who uh, who started um, uh, the Ebony magazine. I can't oh, remember yes. his name, but I was thinking about him because I was thinking about all these people who who really created the stage for people to come behind them in entertainment and whether it be television, media, journalism, all that kind of stuff. You know, listeners, I'll I'll say this. I told Devin this off off the show, but I'll tell you this on the show. I wanted to put uh, Bill Cosby on here, um, but you know, because of the way Bill has, um, you know, carried himself throughout his professional career and because of the controversy, I was like, I better not put him on the list. But whenever I think about what he represented, you know, aside from all the bad stuff, um, he really was a pioneer in the industry as well. Uh, he had a lot of firsts himself, but more than that, uh, he really helped to cross over with a lot of white families because I mean, I can't, I can't think of a, of a white person who didn't love the Cosby show. Uh, like I said, I get, you know, Bill Cosby did some awful things and yeah, I get that people are mad, you know, because of the technicality and stuff. But, you know, when you think about entertainment and, you know, how there wasn't a presence uh, for black people, it's a lot of different people who've been able to help. And like I said, Robert Johnson definitely did that through BET. Absolutely. That's a great. A great choice. And I think, you know, most people know who he is. Bill Cosby or Robert Johnson? Oh, no, Robert Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Bill Cosby and what he represents, I think, is a great point as well. I mean, obviously, he's not, you know, what you would consider a a role model now because of the things that we have come out since then. But when he was at the height of his career and on television, the, the image that he was portraying of the black family black, you know, nuclear family is what we're talking about when we say Bill Cosby, you know, paved the way for certain things and it helped. 
of course, to see a black family on television. And then it helped to have our own network. When you talk about black entertainment television, you have a platform for black voices and black singers and writers and whatever actors to have our own channel where we can watch ourselves. And I remember as a kid running home, trying to go, you know, get home in time to watch 106 and park and see the newest videos that were coming out. Like that, (laughs) that was the thing. It was exciting. It was just like, I got to go see what's, what's the number one video today, you know? And so that was, I don't think people quite appreciate that because BET is not what it used to be now. Um, So I think we have to make sure we always pay, you know, pay homage to what, uh, Mr. Johnson was able to do with BET and what that did for just a generation of of people to grow up being able to watch yourself on the channel, like have your own dedicated channel to see your your singers, your writers, your actors do it, you know, do it at the highest level. So um, he had a huge, huge impact and a huge imprint on a lot of us, but a great choice. Either one. Bill Cosby before <laughs> everything has come out. <laughs> I know some people may not appreciate that, but I think the image that Bill Cosby was trying to portray did help. You know what we could say just to if, if listeners, if, if you're upset about the Bill Cosby thing, and I'll, I'll, I will probably bring up that again in future seasons, but I'll refer to him as Dr. Huxtable. Everybody, you know, when you think about Dr. Huxtable, you know, that's that that takes you back to Rudy and putting pops and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I think everybody can um, be be OK with that. But uh, again, listeners, we just wanted to highlight different people throughout various industries that you may not have known about. But we wanted you to be able to see that through our community, through our blackness, we've done some awesome things. I mean, we, we have some black excellence throughout American history and that black excellence has really contributed to American success um, through a variety of ways, whether it be in inventions uh, in medicine, like vaccines or in entertainment. You know, like I said, the list goes on and on. It was hard for us to limit what to talk about, whether it be from education to civil rights. I mean, black people really helped to build this country uh, in so many ways. So it's hard to pick people, hard to pick industries, but we really, really hope that you were able to enjoy what we've done with this. Um, and we appreciate you, you know, for kind of, you know, going through this a little different, you know, not, like I said, not a final message, no guess, but Devin and I, we are competent and capable to, you know, deliver you some awesome stuff. So, uh, Devin, you know, before we go to our ending, I don't know if you had any other thoughts. It's kind of like a pseudo final message. (laughs) No, I mean, I think I echo everything you said. And again, you know, it will, it was hard to be able to pick out two to three, you know, four people to recognize in a particular industry that's full of thousands of people who have done incredible things. So if you want to learn more, um, check out an organization called the History Makers. We had them on the show, their founder, Juliana Richardson. We had her on the show last year, and they have thousands of interviews with, uh, with Black people who have done amazing things within their particular industry and have interviews, they have stories. It's definitely worth to check it out. If you're really interested in learning more about Black history, check out the History Makers. They are a great, great organization and a great resource to really learn more about your people. Um, or if you're from outside the community, you just want to learn more about what you know Black folks and African-Americans have contributed to this country, 
check out the history makers um, after you listen to this episode. So, um, but no, I think this was a great, a great teaching tool for not only for us, but for um, everyone else to come in and learn a little bit about, you know, some of the things that we've had a hand in creating. When we talk about America's uh, success, you have to mention black people. And so we want to make sure that that story is told correctly. No matter what people are telling you today about us trying to steal white culture or American culture, um, we are a part of that culture. We are embedded in that culture. We help to build that culture um, in so many ways, that, even if yeah. we don't want to be recognized. Um, and we're going to talk about that, actually. I think one of our episodes talks about appreciation versus appropriation and mm-hmm. how um, we haven't been recognized for some of the things that we have done. So, yeah, this is like it's a full circle, listeners. We always try to bring things in together and tell you why they matter and why you should care about them. But before we go any further, we're going to give you another break because we got to do our ending. Got to give you some insight into what you can be on the lookout for. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So first up... You can look forward to hearing us on Saturday, February 5th, as we bring you weekly roundup number three. Again, our weekly roundup is our chance to bring you the news from the past week. So make sure you tune in for that. It's not just serious news. We cover politics, business, entertainment, but also some funny, odd news that you will really enjoy. So make sure you tune in this Saturday, February 5th, to hear me and Adrian bring all the news from the past week. And bring it, bring it to you in a nice, neat package in weekly round of number three. So make sure you tune in for that on Saturday. Then after Saturday, coming up that following Tuesday on February 8th, that'll be our next episode, which will be um, talking about relationship management. And this is going to be a great episode for you to learn about how to manage and improve your relationships with your significant other or just with anyone in general. So we're hoping to get a great guest for that. And this is going to be coming out just in time for Valentine's Day. So you can take some of the things you learned on that episode, maybe put them into practice and get you a Valentine's date. Um, so again, that'll be episode number three coming to you um, on February the 8th. Uh, actually, that'll be episode number four, excuse me. Episode number four about relationship management coming to you on Tuesday, February 8th. So make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be a great, another great episode. Of, as always, our goal here is to educate you. So we're going to educate you about your relationships just in time for Valentine's Day. So before we go, we also want to let you know you can help us out, not just by listening, but you can also help us out with a little bit of money in moolah. And so Adrian's going to let you know how you can help us. Absolutely, Devin. Thank you for that lead in. You know, listeners, I've been talking a lot about be on the lookout, be on the lookout. Well, the lookout is finally here and we are ready for your money. But before we go over that, let me give you the why, because I always believe in starting with the why. You know, this is season four for us. You you know, if you're one of our regular listeners, you've heard you know me say this a lot. If you're a new listener, you may have heard it before here or there. But we're trying to do something great, you know, on the black agenda. 
Um, we're not just trying to podcast. If you've been watching us or rather following us lately, you've noticed that we're doing articles now. That's not our main objective, our main mission. Our main mission and objective is to really bring change in the community. And we can't do that without money, without, you know, people behind us. You know, we, we got to have that in, you know, it's America, it's capitalism. You know, I've said it over and over and over again. Good ideas have to be backed by big bank accounts, unfortunately. So we need your help. All you got to do is go to this website. And if you don't get the website, don't worry because you're looking at a phone and you can click on the link that says donate, or you can go to our website. You can click on the tab that says donate. There's easy, easy ways to do it. But if you want to, you know, hear the website is Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Black Agenda Pod. So really, really easy. Like I said, you'll be able to click on it. Um, while you're, you know, listening to the episode, or you can go to our website. The other thing, it's February. That means we've got a charity of the month. And in thinking about this charity of the month, you know, one of the things that Deborah and I thought about was, you know, what's kind of affecting the black, you know, community right now that we can kind of shed some light on and advocate for. And unfortunately, that's our prison system. You know, we make up a huge part of the prison population, even though we make up, you know, about you know, 10 to 12% of the actual population in the country. But there is an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative who is committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States. They're challenging racial and economic injustice and protecting basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in American society. The Equal Justice Initiative is a private 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides legal representation to people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment, and Eve and Eve provide and <laughs> and even provide reentry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. <laughs> Sorry, you know, if you're if you're one of our producers, you would know that you know we put our scripts together, and sometimes there's some typos in there. But if you're not a producer, then you would know what was going on right there. You think I had a stroke or something, but it was just a little typo error, listeners. But again, Equal Justice Initiative, go check them out. You probably have heard about them, so just want to pass it along to you. All right. Thank you, Adrian. And so, again, a lot of great things going on. You can give to us, help out the Equal Justice Initiative. They are doing some great things and they do provide reentry assistance to formerly incarcerated people just to make sure we we get that out there. Uh, Lastly, before we go, we just thank you for staying with us. Our listeners, we always love it and appreciate your help with any everything, any and everything that we're doing here at the Black Agenda Podcast. It would not be possible without the support of our listeners. So we thank you for listening and staying with us. And like I mentioned earlier, our next episode is coming out on Saturday, February 5th. That'll be weekly roundup number three. Following that, we'll be back with you on Tuesday, February 8th to talk to you about relationship management, getting you ready for Valentine's Day. So make sure you tune in for both of those um, and get ready. So some good things coming to you. And so Until next Saturday, February 5th, we'll catch you next time.